First Peter chapter 5 with me together. In 2019, Japanese organizing consultant Marie Kondo burst into the homes of thousands of Americans through her hit Netflix show, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. How many of you have watched this? Good. Several, but not everyone, okay? Though unfamiliar to most Americans, she was already a celebrity in Japan. In fact, she was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in 2015. She had already published four books, one of which had become a New York Times bestseller. So she was already world-renowned, and it's her organizational method that's what she's famous for. And she calls this method the Con Marie Method, to play off her name, which advocates for organizing belongings by category and keeping only those that spark joy. That's her big idea. And it's interesting, this idea of sparking joy actually comes from her Shinto religious upbringing. Fascinating connection there. So what does she do? She instructs her clients to gather all their clothes in their home first, then one by one decide if these items of clothing spark joy. If they do, they stay. If they don't, they leave. She then repeats the process with other groups of items, keeping only those things that spark joy. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Peter commands believers to be clothed with humility. And if Peter were to fast forward and time travel 2,000 years into our day, and he were to, to apply Marie Kondo's method to spiritual clothing, he would say this, pride doesn't spark joy, so get rid of it. Humility sparks joy, so put it on. The theme of 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, is putting on humility. And pastor, before Easter, was in a series that he called Great New Testament Texts. And so we are here in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, at another Great New Testament text. A passage that perhaps you have memorized, that you've studied before. And so I, I pray that these three little verses will be a refreshment to you. Let's look at these verses together and read them. 1 Peter 5, 5, 6, and 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Three times in three verses, Peter commands us to put on humility. So a natural question to ask is, what is humility? What is humility? Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. In his classic book on humility, Andrew Murray writes, humility is simply acknowledging the truth of our position as creature and yielding to God his place as creator. Ken Collier, the longtime president of the wilds where Kate and I met, defines humility as this, the lowering of self to find God is all, self is nothing, and others are more important. Obviously, the ultimate example of humility is our Lord Jesus Christ. We read Philippians chapter 2 a moment ago, that passage describes the humility of Christ who didn't consider it something to be held on to, his deity, his position. He held on to his deity. 
his position alongside God. But taking the form of a servant, he was born in human flesh. But that wasn't low enough for Christ. He humbled himself even lower, serving others. And then even lower beyond that, all the way, as you know, to the point of death. Even the death on a cross. All of us must be humble. Peter says so in this passage. He says, all of you be clothed with humility. So just like you select clothes to wear each day for different occasions, you and I will choose to clothe ourselves with either pride or humility. Since humility is appropriate dress for all occasions, no, jeans are not appropriate for all occasions, no matter how much we think it is, humility is truly appropriate for all occasions. So you would think that it would be an easy decision to be humble, to clothe yourself in humility every day. But as you know, it's not natural and it's not easy. Why do we put on pride? Well, it frankly is our most comfortable and most natural outfit. It suits us, we think. And so we don't realize how much God hates it. If we could see our pride the same way God does, we would always clothe ourselves with humility. To clothe ourselves with humility, we need to resist putting on the garments of pride, to use that analogy. We need to resist pride, to lay it aside, and instead to be clothed with humility. Scripture says in multiple places that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. For that reason, we must daily clothe ourselves with humility. Now, 1 Peter 5, 5-7 contains instructions to help us be clothed with humility. It teaches us how to lay aside pride. And I want to point out this morning three garments of pride, three aspects of pride to lay aside, one from each verse. Now, before we dive into the text, two clarifications before we begin. First, there are many forms of pride, and these three that we talk about today are just three of the many. In fact, author Stuart Scott has a little booklet called From Pride to Humility, and he lists 30 different manifestations, instances of pride. So there's a lot more than three, but we're going to focus on three this morning. And second, just because I'm preaching on this topic doesn't mean that I am a humble guru, okay? It doesn't mean that I have conquered the sin of pride. It's something, truly, I wrestle with every day. This passage has been an encouragement to me over the last few months And I hope it will be an encouragement to you as well. So let's look at verse 5. The first article of proud clothing Peter calls us to lay aside is found in verse 5. And it's this idea of arrogance. Arrogance. Let's look at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, what is arrogance? That might be the the most natural thing we think of when we hear the word pride. Arrogance is an attitude of superiority, an attitude of self-importance that reveals itself, truthfully, in many different ways. Arrogant people have the mindset of a master. Other people exist to serve them. They think thoughts like, I'm better than you, I'm more important than you, or I know more than you. Their opinion of self far surpasses reality. And so we could say that they kind of live in a a fantasy world of sorts with themselves as the center of that. Arrogant people are not thankful. They're not teachable. They're not gracious. 
They blame others for mistakes while refusing to admit their own. Often they get frustrated and angry with people. And I don't think arrogant people read their Bibles or pray consistently because deep down they really don't feel like they need God. Arrogance is so pervasive. If you're like me, when I started studying this, I thought, oh yeah, that person, they're arrogant. And it's easy to do that, isn't it? To immediately start thinking of other people that need to hear this. But let's do some self-reflection this morning. Let's turn the attention to ourselves, because if we're honest, these qualities describe us more than we care to admit. It's not an if, but a where. It's not if pride and arrogance is part of our hearts. It's simply where. Where is it showing up in our lives? So as you think about that, notice three aspects of arrogance in verse 5 that Peter draws out. First of all, arrogance is displayed toward authorities. Arrogance is usually displayed from younger to older. That's the natural temptation. Verse 5 opens with the exhortation. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. The young people here refer to those in their early years. The reference to elders most likely refers to the spiritual leaders of the church because in verses 1 through 4, Peter has just described what a spiritual leader should be and what they should do. But this really points to a broader principle that's drawn out in other parts of Scripture as well. And it's this. Younger people need to listen to the wise counsel of older people. Now that's not a blanket statement, but it's the wise counsel of older people. Why do younger people need to listen to older people? The answer, I think, is self-evident. But we who are younger think we know it all, and we don't want to listen to anyone else's advice. You ever find yourself thinking that? I don't need your advice. I can do it myself. The story of Rehoboam comes to mind. He's the son of Solomon. And when he was being crowned king, the people came to him and said, lighten the tax load for us and we'll be your servants forever. So Rehoboam went to the older men and said, what should I do? And they said, listen to him. They'll be your servants forever. He said, no. He went to his peers, the ones he had grown up with, the arrogant youths, we would say. And they said, no, make it harder. Go stronger at them. Show them power. And Rehoboam's foolish decision split the kingdom of Israel. Alexander the Great, another historical example, might be one of the most successful leaders in history, conquering the known world by the age of 32. That's incredible. And though he was successful, he was really really arrogant. I found this quote on a Forbes magazine piece about him. It says this, quote, American audiences have a special affinity for Alexander as the personification of rebellious youth. His short life and glorious career stand as an affirmation of the uniquely American perspective, this is amazing, that youth unfettered by the conventional restraints of its elders and free to pursue its own dreams knows no limits to what it might accomplish. That might be the spirit of our age, but that is not the spirit of Scripture. That is not how we are to act. The solution here is that Peter calls for younger people to submit themselves to the elders. Submission is a voluntary lowering of self. It's, I am placing myself underneath you. But Peter goes on, arrogance is not limited just to the younger with the older. All of us have to guard against arrogance in our relationships. Because arrogance is present in all relationships. 
It's present in all relationships. The middle part of verse 5 says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So he's not just talking about older and younger anymore. He's talking about all of us. Now, before we work through this point, we need to note one discrepancy among Bible translations. If you're holding a newer translation like the ESV or, or the NIV, you probably notice that the verse reads a little bit differently. The phrase, be submissive to one another, is not in modern translations because it's not found in the earliest manuscripts. But, though this phrase may not be part of this passage, that is definitely a teaching of Scripture, to be submissive to one another. Because Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says that. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The New American Standard reading, I think, captures this verse quite well. The New American Standard Bible says this, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So let's think about that for a moment. The main command here is to do what? To clothe ourselves with humility. Who should put on humility? Peter says, all of us. No exceptions. And who is this humility shown to? Peter says, be clothed with humility toward one another. It influences all of our relationships. So what is Peter saying? This is a universal call for complete, pervasive humility. There's no moment, there's no situation, there's no relationship where pride is an acceptable mode of conduct. That's really hard, isn't it? Really hard. So how do we clothe ourselves with humility? Well, humility really has to start with our beliefs and our thoughts. Uh, One author, I can't remember who it was, said that pride and humility is not something you do partially. You either are or you aren't. And to be humble, that's embracing the right mindset. When we think about God rightly and elevate him to his proper place instead of trying to play God, when we put God in his proper place, we can clearly view ourselves correctly and other people correctly. This is what Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 that we read a moment ago illustrates this as well. And it shows us how humility begins with our thoughts and then fleshes itself out in our actions. Paul writes this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit that's in the heart, but in lowliness of mind. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You can see I underlined the key words there on the screen. Let each of you look not... Look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So it starts in the mind and then flows out into action toward other people. Humility, then, will enable a person not to think about themselves. We think about ourselves a lot, don't we? If you're like me, we tend to make our decisions based on how it affects me. We don't think about how it is going to affect your spouse or your family or your job or your church or the Lord Jesus. Humility is that attitude of heart that helps us to consider others above ourselves. Third, arrogance is ultimately directed toward God. All arrogance is ultimately directed 
toward God. The last part of verse 5 says, For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Peter here is quoting Philippians chapter 3, verse 34. And he's using this as a reason, an explanation for why we ought to clothe ourselves with humility. This quote also shows us that ultimately arrogant pride rebels against God. God is the one who is offended by pride. He is the one resisting pride. Well, why does God resist the proud? Have you ever thought about that before? Why does God take pride so personally? And it's, this is one answer, I think, because pride elevates a person to godlike status where the universe revolves around that individual. The arrogant man or the arrogant woman has declared themselves to be a rival to God. God doesn't tolerate rivals who rebel against him. He actively fights against pride. And that's why the end of verse 5 calls us to embrace humility, to receive God's grace. God doesn't resist humble people. He draws near to them. There are many passages of Scripture that talk about this. I've selected one, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's a tremendous verse, isn't it? Verses like these are wonderful reminders that access to God is through humility. It's through lowering ourselves. If we want to be close to God, humility is what we must be clothed in. Well, verse 6 of 1 Peter 5 begins with the word therefore. So it builds off the truths of verse 5, therefore. Peter's instructions in verse 6 reveal a second garment of pride to put off, and that is the pride of control. To humble ourselves, we must hand over control of our lives to God. Let's look at verse 6 together. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Control. Maybe that's not the first thing you would think of when you read this verse. But I think there are three phrases here that, that show us that humility must surrender control to God. Proud people love to be in control, don't they? They love the power that comes with control. They try to get their own way. And the easiest way to get your own way is to be in charge. Controlling people will be headstrong and ambitious for self-advancement. They will use stubbornness or intimidation to gain control. In 3 John 9, we have a description of a man named Diotrephes. He was a man who loved to have preeminence. John says that this man refused to welcome the Apostle John, and he even put other people out of the church who wanted a fellowship with the Apostle. Does that sound controlling to you? The word preeminence literally means the love of being first. Diotrephes love the benefits, the power, the control of being in charge. Does that describe you? Does that describe your approach to family, to work, or to some other pursuit you're involved in? There are three phrases in 1 Peter 5, 6 that underscore the pride of control. So we need to keep these three truths in mind. First, proud people run their own life apart from God. Humble people live under God's control. Peter says to humble yourselves under what? Under the mighty hand of God. 
The expression, the mighty hand of God, is very interesting. It appears 15 times in the Old Testament. 13 of the uses refer to God's powerful act of redemption in bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. He did that, the Bible says, with a powerful show of strength. The other two references refer to God's regathering of Israel in the future. In other words, that means that every time this expression is used, the mighty hand of God, it refers to a miraculous demonstration of God's power for his people. You know how many times this phrase is used in the New Testament? One. Just here. Just here. With that in mind, why do we think we can live without God's mighty hand in our lives? Why do we think we can control our lives better than God's mighty hand can? How far would Israel have gotten if God's mighty hand wasn't at work for them against Pharaoh? How far would they have been able to journey? How far can we get without God's mighty hand working in our lives? You see, humble people submit to God's control and God's authority. And for those of us, I put myself in this category, who love to be in control, it's very hard to do this. It's very hard to give up control. It takes a leap of faith even to hand over the keys, the authority of my life to someone else. But remember God's character. His hand is mighty. Second, proud people advance self. Humble people let God advance them. Verse 6 continues, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. That he may exalt you. You know, controlling people tend to to advance themselves. They're ambitious to get ahead. They they self-promote because they're trying to manipulate circumstances to benefit them. George Washington was our first president. He was probably one of our best, if not the best president, and guided our nation in its infancy. But did you know that George Washington didn't want to be president? He didn't want to be the president. He wanted instead to retire to his manor in the Virginian countryside and become a farmer. That's what he really wanted. Though he didn't campaign for the presidency, he he literally did not campaign. He spent zero dollars in marketing and advertisement. I mean, imagine that. We have candidates that are spending millions of dollars these days. And though he didn't do any of those things, he is still, to this day, the only president to be unanimously elected by the Electoral College. Twice unanimous. He famously refused to run for a third term and worked to make sure that the presidency didn't have too much power or else it would look like the king of England. He wanted to make sure that the presidency was its own thing. Some have even referred to him as the reluctant president. George Washington didn't seek his own advancement. He certainly didn't promote himself. But because of his country's needs, he said, I've got to do this. I'll take the opportunity in front of me and serve for their advancement. The parallels here are just tremendous. In the same way, humble people don't seek their own kingdom advancement. They don't self-promote. They aren't worried about, how am I going to get ahead? How am I going to look good in this situation? They passionately give themselves for God's kingdom instead of trying to control life to benefit them. They're not seeking to advance me. And right along with that, humble people serve others instead of using others. Have you noticed this? That proud people tend to use other people. So how do you and I treat other people? 
The controlling person, the proud person, often views other people as currency to spend to get what I really want. They use people to better themselves, which is the exact opposite of humility. We should be using ourselves to benefit other people. So proud people advance self and don't leave their exaltation to God. Third, proud people live on their own time frame. Humble people wait on God's timing. Verse 6 concludes with what little phrase? Verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Pride advances me according to my timetable. It demands to get my way right now. I'm going to have what I want. Humility submits to God's timing in every phase of life, even for advancement. It doesn't worry about the results. Humble people allow God to work. Can you think of any scriptural examples of people who were told they would be exalted and then had to wait for a long time? There are three that come to my mind quickly. The first is Joseph. He was He had dreams that predicted his exaltation above his brothers. These dreams were probably in his teenage years, 13 to 17, somewhere in there. But before these things came true, he had to wait at least 22 years for them to be fulfilled. That's a long time to wait. Imagine being Joseph sitting in prison, being forgotten about thinking, yeah, God told me that I'm going to be exalted someday. I don't really see a way out of this, but Psalm 105 19 says, until that time that God's word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. Here's a second example. David was anointed king, most likely around the age of 15. But he started ruling when he was 30. So that's 15 years, half of his life. In the meantime, what did he do between 15 and 30, primarily? All he had to do was run from Saul, who was trying to kill him, all the while knowing I'm the next king. Try to fit that together in your mind. This guy's trying to kill me, and yet I'm going to be the successor. Our Lord Jesus also waited for God to exalt him. He came to earth to redeem the world, yet for 30 or so years, he lived anonymously in a backwoods village. When Satan tempted Jesus to worship him and receive the kingdoms of the world in return... The temptation really revolved around being exalted outside of God's timeline. Satan was offering Jesus the kingdoms of the world without the suffering. Jesus flatly refused. He said, no. No, you shall worship the Lord your God. Him only you shall serve. Even after Jesus began his public ministry, he waited three years before going to the cross. Three years Often, he said, my time has not yet come. He was patient. He was waiting for God's timing to be implemented. And in our culture of streaming services, next-day shipping, same-day shipping, high-speed internet everywhere, lights on demand, waiting for anything is hard, right? I mean, how many of us in our blackout delay here were kind of getting angsty and wanted things to get fixed right now? We want it now. That's the way we are. But if we put ourselves in humble clothes, we will submit to God's timing and to God's pace in our lives. God's never in a hurry. Have you learned this yet? I feel like I keep relearning this one. God's never in a hurry in my life. His timeline is always precise. If God's pace seems slow, Habakkuk 2.3 says, 
wait for it. Humility teaches us to wait for God's timing in all aspects of life. And when we do that, we resist the pride of control. Taking matters into my own hands to get the result that I wanted. It's far better to leave that to God. The third garment of pride to put off may surprise you. Look at verse 7 with me. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The third garment of pride to take off is anxiety. Anxiety. Verse 7 is a well-known verse that deals with anxiety. And in the New King James Version, there's a wonderful play on words. It says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. There's a play on words with that idea of care. My cares can go to God because he cares for me. It's wonderful. Care means a feeling of apprehension or distress in view of danger or or misfortune. It, It includes fears and worries and anxieties that burden us and weigh us down. I'm sure you're thinking about some of yours right now. So this verse seems pretty straightforward, right? Give your burdens to God because he cares for you. So what's the connection to pride? Well, notice the punctuation at the end of verse 6. At the end of verse 6, the punctuation is a period or a comma. Verse 7, then, continues the sentence begun in verse 6. The word casting at the beginning of verse 7 is not a main verb. The grammar of this, to some of your chagrin, the grammar of this actually helps us. Casting is not the main verb. It is an action word that further explains how to go about doing the main verb. So what's the main verb then? Well, back in verse 6, it's humble yourselves. Verse 7 then further explains how we humble ourselves. You say, I'm not following. We could ask Peter this question. How do I humble myself, Peter? And his answer would be, by casting your anxieties on the Lord. That's how you demonstrate humility. That means, according to this passage, if you're burdened down with anxieties, it's because you're proud. Let's think about that for a moment. Consider two connections to pride. First, how is anxiety a form of pride? Well, number one, anxiety refuses to admit my limitations. By taking on burdens only God can bear. Pride blinds us. Anxiety refuses to give away my burdens because our pride has blinded us to our weaknesses and limitations. We think we're stronger than we really are. Author Hannah Anderson, in her book Humble Roots, says this, All your anxiety, all your worry... All your sleeplessness can't change a thing. And suddenly, you come face to face with your limitations. Suddenly, you realize how little you control your life. Pride blinds us. But pride also lies to us. We can't bear these burdens because only God can. They're too big for us. And yet, our anxiety, our proud anxiety says, No, 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 I can take this burden on. I I don't need God. Well, these anxieties truly are too heavy for us. But the fact of the matter is we're just often too proud to admit it, aren't we? Hannah Anderson again says this, quote, Pride convinces us that we're stronger and more capable than we actually are. Pride convinces us that we must do and be more than we are able. So when we're anxious, we're actually telling God one of two things. This isn't spoken 
But this is really what the message we're sending to God. Either we refuse to let God be God, thinking we know better than him, or we don't believe God is who he says he is. Either way, that's pride. And our pride has blinded us and deceived us. When we give our burdens to the Lord, we humbly recognize our weaknesses. We humbly depend on God for deliverance and strength. We humbly acknowledge God's control, his wisdom, and his power over our burdens because we're recognizing we can't do it. We're limited. We're weak. But our God is strong. The second connection between anxiety and pride is this. Anxiety attempts to solve my problems without God's solutions. In other words, anxiety refuses to trust God. A lack of trust in God is not God's fault. He's given us plenty of material to reference in his word. He's given us plenty of times that he has come through for us. He has shown us how trustworthy he really is. So if it's not God's fault, it's our fault. One of my favorite Bible commentators says this. And I've got the quote for you here on the screen. Worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all their problems in their lives, in their own strength. The only God, he continues, they trust in is themselves. When believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. The act of giving our burdens to God admits our inability to solve them. And it admits our belief in God that he is the one able to solve us and solve our problems. Now, if you're like me, this connection between anxiety and pride is probably new information. Kate and I have been reading together this book that I've referenced a couple times. It's called Humble Roots by an author named Hannah Anderson. And I would really recommend it to you. She spends the whole book focusing on this connection between our restlessness, our anxieties, and actually our pride. It's quite convicting and quite comforting all at the same time. So I would commend that to you. Let's ask this question, though, as we continue. How does humility solve anxiety? How does humility solve anxiety? Well, the solution is in verse 7. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. That's the solution. Peter quotes Psalm 55 Verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord, he will sustain you. The word cast means to throw or propel something. This is the idea of heaving. This isn't like rolling off my fingers. It's chucking it as far as you can go. Humility recognizes that I'm limited and I'm weak. Humility recognizes that I can't bear these burdens. Humility recognizes and chooses to trust God and throw my burdens on his back. Because if I won't humble myself, I won't give God my cares. And yet the Lord is inviting us to take these heavy burdens. He's inviting us to cast our burdens on him. He wants to do that for us. Well, why does he want us to do that? Well, certainly he is able to bear our burdens. His burdens our burdens don't weigh him down. But second, Peter gives another reason why we ought to cast our burdens on the Lord. And in the last phrase of verse 7 simply says, because he cares for you. God cares for you. Care points to God's concern for us because of his love for us. He's not just concerned because we're going to slip and fall. It, it's because he loves us so much. 
God is not a hired trail guide who has to bail out a paying customer because it's his job. God loves you so much that he offers to take your burdens from you, your anxieties from you, because he is able to bear them. But he's not going to forcibly remove them from you. You have to give it to him. Our family loves to go hiking. Even our boys enjoy hiking. In this past Christmas, Zane and Xander received backpacks and water bladders so they can carry their own gear and water. For some reason, Zane calls the water bladder a blader. I have no clue why he got that stuck in his head, but he refers to it as his water blader. Okay, whatever, man. And they love wearing these backpacks. They put their sweatshirts in there when they get hot. They put little binoculars in there. They put the map for the trail guide in there. You know, they like to collect rocks, and I'm like, don't do that. (laughs) That makes it a little harder. And sometimes toward the end of a hike, Xander, who's our middle child, he's the younger, he gets a little worn down. He's three, after all. That's to be expected. So say that Kate and I wanted to help him out, so we offered to carry his backpack for him. What help would that be to him? Be enormous. How burdensome is it for us? It's, it's like we're not even carrying anything. It's so light and small. His backpack, as I said, may have a sweatshirt, some water, binoculars, And to us, that's quite light, but to a tired three-year-old, four miles on the trail, half a mile to go to the parking lot, that burden is lifted. He's able to finally get back to the car. And frankly, he should give us the backpack, right? Only a stubborn and proud child would refuse to give away the burden to his parents. He's all too quick to give it away. Besides, we're offering to help him. Why? Because we care about him, and we don't want to walk slow. But we care about him, ultimately. My wife cares about him. But in the same way, how often are we in that same scenario with God? God's the parent, we're the child. And we're straining under the load of our cares on the path of life. And God says, just just give me your cares. Give me your backpack. And we say, no. What's our excuse? He's stronger. It's not a burden to him. He cares for us, and yet here we are, stubbornly refusing to give him our cares. We're saying, no, I can do this on my own. That's not anxiety anymore. That's pride. By holding on to our anxieties, we reveal the pride of our hearts because there's no legitimate reason for us not to give them to God. There's no reason. So according to verse 7, if you're burdened down with anxieties, it's because you're proud. You're too proud to admit your weaknesses. You're too proud to give God the burden only he can bear. You're too proud to let him deal with your struggles. Too proud to ask for his help. Too proud to trust that God will work for you. Will you humble yourself? Will you repent of your anxiety? Will you receive the peace that comes from giving that burden to the Lord? And I'll add this too. This is a daily process. We're really good every morning at picking up our backpack full of cares. And so we have to actively give it to God daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minute by minute. But when we do, we find through experience that the scriptures are true and that God is mighty and that he is worthy of our trust. My grandfather passed away about 10 years ago. And one of the things we had to do after the funeral was help my my grandma clean out his clothes And Grandpa was a big yard sailor. He loved yard sales, loved a deal, and loved little dealies is what he called them, little little things. 
But when we finally purged his clothing, we found out that he still had clothes with tags on them. My dad counted between 40 and 50 suit jackets scattered in various closets. I mean, he was a pastor, but that's a suit jacket like every week of the year. We ended up filling a car with 15 to 20 big garbage bags of clothes to donate to Goodwill. And I can guarantee you, my grandfather did not mean to accumulate that many clothes. He didn't set out to have a wardrobe full of suits. It just kind of happened. The wardrobe accumulated over years because he never purged it. And perhaps you need to do a spiritual clothing purge today. Perhaps you need to take a hard look at your wardrobe and ask yourself, have I been dressing in proud clothes? Have I been suiting up each morning in pride or in humility? Am I arrogant? Am I controlling? Am I anxious? Have you accumulated proud habits without realizing it? That's very easy to do. And maybe you've, you've gone on the other side and, and you've treasured these garments of pride. You've said, these are my favorite clothes to wear. I feel most comfortable in them. They're, they're even worn out along the edges because I've worn them so much. The scriptures call you clearly to purge the pride. Repent of your sin. And clothe yourself with humility. As Peter says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as you think about all the things that you need to purge, you may have a little bit, you may have a lot. But if you humble yourself before God, God will give you the grace to begin daily clothing yourself with humility. And day by day, moment by moment, you will experience the grace of God as he draws near to the humble in heart. Would you pray with me? Can we ask the Lord's help in this area of our lives together? Father, we're thankful that the lights have come back on, that we can have uh, a service this morning, certainly a little unusual to begin. But Father, as we study your word and look into the scriptures, we understand that there are really only two manners of life, either proud or humble. And so we pray, Father, that we would receive your grace today. Our arrogance is ugly. Our control is rebellious. Our anxieties are just foolish. All three of these things you've told us that the humble person will reject and that you'll give grace to help with these things. So, Father, we pray that your spirit would work and would mend hearts, Father, through the balm of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was gentle and lowly in heart, and that we collectively, and we individually would find rest for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.